With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast of Matt Lark. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here. And my hair, if you're watching, my hair is brought to you by Pedro Pascal's character in Wonder Woman 1984. This is some bad hair I got going on. I don't know what to tell you. I'm going to have to cut it in my own house. So I apologize if you're watching. But hey, these are the times we live in, okay? So I'm, I'm rolling with it as best I can. Producer Steven is with me here to ask some questions later on behalf of you listeners and readers. And let's get started. We're going to get into the fantasy advice. We're going to start with pickups. Shallow league pickup first. And I'm looking at Kevin Lankin in goaltender Chicago Blackhawks. He's been a big story so far this season. And, you know, the window was always there for him to get a shot because the competition, all due respect to Malcolm Subban and Colin Delia, they're not established, bona fide, you know, starting caliber NHLers. They have not been so far in their careers so far. So there was always going to be a chance for one of the three guys, including Lankin, to win the job. Lankinen has been phenomenal this season. You can make a case he's been the Vezina Trophy winner if, you, if the season ended today because he's seeing the most high-danger shots per 60 minutes at 5-on-5, second-highest expected goals against among all goalies with 500-plus minutes played. So he's doing basically what Corey Crawford did last year, which is overcome terrible defense and weather the storm. That's why you do have to be careful with Lankinen because, you know, if you're playing with terrible defense in front of you, is it going to come back to bite you? It's possible. On the other hand, this is a guy that was showing signs of a breakout in, in recent seasons. He was good in the Liga in the playoffs a few years ago in Finland. He was a world championship winner as the starting goalie for Finland in 2019, I believe. And he was an AHL all-star last season. So you could see the signs of this guy trending upward. And it's something I wrote about actually in our magazine recently, just the idea that some goaltenders, you saw it with Crawford last year, Connor Hellebuck, some of these guys, Igor Shosturkin last year too, they do better with more work. They get into more of a rhythm and they have more of a sense of, understanding what the, their defense is going to do. Jacob Markstrom last year as well. It's a growing trend where goalies who are busier sometimes put up really good numbers. And maybe Lankinen is one of those guys. I think it's worth at least finding out. I think he should be owned at this point in almost every league because the Blackhawks have been playing better than expected. So I think it's worth rolling the dice on Mr. Lankinen. Now let's do a medium league pickup. And I'm surprised Clayton Keller available in 67% of leagues this is someone who has major pedigree, first round pick in 2016. And we had our future watch, our scouting panel uh, in 2017, ranked the top drafted prospects in the league. Clayton Keller was number one. He's got a dynamic skill set and he's got six points in his past five games. 
He's driving the play, all those underlying advanced metrics. If you follow that stuff, he's doing it all at career best rates, generating the most chances he ever has, most shots. Everything is at a career best rate. So I'm wondering if there's a real breakout happening. Overall, you know, you look at, I think he's got 10 points in 15 games. It's not that exciting, but six points in his past five, he's shooting the puck a lot. We know the talent is there. And he's the kind of guy who's on my watch list every year, just because we know how good he is. And I'm just kind of waiting for that breakout to happen. And at 22, he's really not that old. So I think you can buy into the breakout storyline and grab Clayton Keller. Next up. We've got deep leagues and Steven was making fun of me for this. I understand it. I couldn't believe that I'm doing this. I'm recommending in a fantasy hockey league, Radko Gudis. He's available in 78% of leagues because of course he is, but he's on a body check rampage. Okay. He leads the league in hits. He's got 72 and 13 games. He has 55 hits in his past eight games. I don't know if he's angry at the world, but he's going bananas. He's on pace on an 82 game schedule. He's on pace for 454 hits the record is 382 matt martin reco gudis is just going bananas he's going crazy with this hit rampage and if you're in hits league and a lot of leagues are these days you have to pick him up he's the best option right now he's rattling off games of eight hits nine hits ten hits he's just going nuts so you've got to add reco gudis if your league counts hits uh the last category is the wtf category and that's brian rust he's available in 28 percent of leagues i don't understand why if you include last season in his last 69 games he's got 69 points 32 goals right now he's having a great season he's i, I believe it was player of the week or first star of the week if i'm not mistaken last week he's playing with Sidney crosby and jake gensel i think he has a great chance to stick on that line because we know historically if you play that real north south speedy attacking game it always blends well with crosby and rust is actually a really strong fit i know he's typically been evgeny malkin's winger over the years in pittsburgh but there's some nice chemistry happening there with sid and he's just, Russ is just shooting the puck a ton, top 10 in shots per 60. Everything about what he's doing seems legit and it's carrying over last year. He was a guy that people weren't sure. They wanted to see him do it two years in a row after his been fantastic season last year. And he's following it up. He's showing he's for real. So the fact that he's only owned in 72% of leagues is crazy for me. He's got to be owned every single league right now, even shallow leagues. Go get Brian Russ if he's somehow available in your bad, easy fantasy pool. Next up, before we get to the questions, let's do the tip of the week. And this is this is mean, okay? It's something I do. Uh, I'm, I'm a predator in, in these fantasy leagues. And the tip I just wrote, capitalize on panic. And this is the, the point of the season. We are roughly a third. In fantasy, in NHL season, it's a quarter. But in fantasy leagues, we're about a third of the way through. And now is the time to look at the standings, look at the bottom of the standings, and find the jams in your league who are panicking, who are worried their season is almost over. If it's a redraft league you're in, so a one-off league, you can tell them it's now or never. Your season's going to be done unless you do something crazy. So try and make those buy low trades, force them to do something dramatic. If it's a keeper league, you can tell them that, hey, if you want to be the buyer or the seller team and, and get the top prospects for next year, you better get in before another team tries to get my top guy that I'm selling off to the, to the other seller teams. So in general, I think this is Roughly, you know, we're at the four week mark, four weeks in the books in our season, whether it's a rotisserie league or head to head. This is when you look at those standings and find which which teams are going to be desperate, because if you wait too long, you're going to reach a point where they're so far behind, especially in a redraft league, that they might even think it's unethical to bother trading anymore. So you got to get in while the getting's good. And if you wait too long, it could be problematic. It could get people wanting to veto trades if you're making deals with a team that's very far out of it. So in my opinion, now is the time to get very, very active. Let's do some questions, Stephen. We have a bunch of good ones. I'm ready. If you're ready, let's ask away. 
First off, uh, Rust, he's just one of those guys that I just assumed would have been picked up in my pool, but no, he's uh, no one has picked him up. Um, Go get him. So I'm dropping Nathan McKinnon to get him. Uh, no, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I have to figure out what I'm going to do with that. But uh, And I also need a, a, a goalie who actually you know, plays games. Anton Kudobin is not playing a lot of games these days because, you know, Dallas is canceling them all. All right, let's start with some questions. The first one is from Harry, and he says, I know each league may be a case-by-case basis, but given the uncertainty of games getting canceled, is this a year where I should just sell high on players and focus on the future? It's a really good question, and it's one that's come up, Harry, in, in the league I play where some teams are kind of deciding, oh, is this not the, le- the year to go for it? I have, to, I have some really good keepers. Maybe I should sit on them, or maybe you just stand pat so you, you keep your good keepers. You don't sell off every piece, but you kind of sit in the middle. Personally, I like to do the opposite. I did this in baseball last year, and I see it as an opportunity. It's like, oh, everyone's scared. Everyone's scared of the pandemic canceling the season. Sweet. They're going to pack it in. There's less competition for me. I'm going to go the other way and go pedal to the metal and make a bunch of aggressive, aggressive moves. I traded my first round pick one hour after our draft this year Whoa. because I figured, hey, if the, it, I see it as an opportunity, there are fewer teams going for it. That means there's there's less competition. And, you know, I, I know it's scary, especially with the variant out there. We don't know what the ripple effect is going to be because it's really just start, starting to creep in North America. But if you look at the pattern, and I talked about this on our, our main podcast earlier this week, there's a pattern, we saw it in baseball and football, where teams, they got our big scare with COVID early in the season, they had a big outbreak, and every team that had that happen, they were really diligent the rest of the year, and it didn't tend to repeat on the same teams, because they learned their lesson, they got much better at, at being careful, and it didn't happen again. So I'm thinking it's possible that we're going to see that in the NHL. I know it's been a really rough start around the league for teams like the Devils, the Sabres, Avalanche, go on and on. But I'm predicting that we're not going to see the same teams get locked down again. And as the season progresses, maybe the league overall is going to have fewer outbreaks. The new protocols they've introduced are stricter. You have rapid testing. You're not going to have guys in the middle of games like Thomas Nozick being pulled away. So if you add up all those factors, I think things are going to get better. As long as the variant doesn't wreak havoc, we don't, you know, honestly, we can't really predict what it's going to do but i still predict that whether it should be completed or not the nhl we know they want to finish this season so it will happen in my opinion and because of that i'm not behaving at least in my own league as if the season is going to get canceled i'm going to put the pedal to the metal but i don't blame you if you'd rather be conservative there's still a risk factor if you have an amazing group of keepers you know if your keepers are Connor mcdavid and leon dry then i get it you'd rather to sit on them and contend next year i understand but not me i'm going for it Next question. If you want to just be safe, just trade all your guys from t- t- North Division players, and you're pretty much guaranteed they'll at least play at this point. Uh, so right. that was a question from Harry, and I'm, I can only assume this is his brother, Peter Potter. Uh, Whoa. Good name. Also sounds like Peter Parker. Joe Pavelski's having a great year, but he's 37. Do you think it's worth keeping him for another year in a keeper pool or trading him now since his value is high? I just wrote, I don't know, sell so friggin' hard, especially in a keeper pool. It's like, just go like pause the podcast, Peter Potter. If you're listening, just go do it right now before people catch on. Joe Pavelski is 37 years old. He's scoring on 28% of his shots. As last time I checked, that was the number. It doesn't make any sense what he's doing right now. It's possible that he is going to have a better year than last year because the, the stars need him more. They're using him as the first line center. We know that Pavelski has been able to play the wing and center in his career with no Tyler Sagan. He's just much more important to this team. And maybe he's a guy who gets in more of a rhythm when he's being relied upon more. We saw it in the playoffs as well. But even if that's true, 
He's still turned a profit for you already. If you have him, it's time to sell. There's no way he can sustain. Joe Pavelski is not going to be competing with Connor McDavid for the scoring title. All due respect to Joe Pavelski, he's had a very good career, but he's 37 years old. He's my age, and I have to crack my back every time I get out of bed in the morning. I know he's an elite athlete, but you understand what I'm saying. He's past his physical peak. He's been amazing, but sell, 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 sell. Do it right now, Peter Buck. I just thought you were trying, funny you were trying to compare yourself to an NHL hockey player. Uh, <laughs> It's funny, watching some video clips yesterday of just specifically, the like off topic, but of the Montreal Canadiens um, practice, and they were showing like these really cool deeks these guys were doing. And it's like even like some of like, like the fourth line guys were doing like some nice moves. Just like, yeah, just even the crappiest NHL players are pretty damn good. Uh, not that's not right. that's breaking news or anything. But this question's from Simon Harmonson who asks, I know you wrote about Sam Bennett a few weeks ago. I've seen my keeper league is trying to move him. Is he worth a pickup knowing he could potentially earn a better role elsewhere or are you wary of him? Pickup, yes. If he's available and you're in a keeper league and you have a big, you know, big roster room to stash him, you can go ahead and stash him, sure. You know, if, he, if he's being dropped. Um, I don't think he's someone who's valuable enough to trade for, to give up an asset for. If you're looking to acquire him, I would say no. Uh, I do think we're going to see him in an increased role later. I, I'm predicting he's going to be with the Seattle Kraken because, you know, there's talk of Calgary trading him, but if they trade him, whatever piece they whatever piece comes back, they may have to leave unprotected in the expansion draft, or it can cause a chain reaction that forces them to leave another piece unprotected. Whereas right now, if you have a guy who doesn't really want to be there, and another team could perceive him to have value. It's kind of the perfect guy to expose in the expansion draft. And Seattle, I still think there's upside. You're going to hope to find your, your William Carlson equivalent in Sam Bennett. He's the same age that Carlson was when Vegas grabbed him. So I think he's going to end up with the Kraken. And maybe he's going to get a shot as a second liner. I, I do think you're going to see him get a bigger opportunity wherever he goes next than what he's got in Calgary. So yeah, he, there's a little upside, but I, I think it's second line upside, not first line upside. It's not going to be what we thought he was when he was drafted fourth overall in 2014. But if you're in a deep league and he's just sitting there on the wire, yeah, go ahead and add him and stash him and see what happens if you can wait until next year. But only if you don't have a limit on keepers. If you can only keep a certain number of players, then I don't think Ben is worth keeping. All right, this is from Peagle Charlie who asks, will the number one pick in the last angel draft, Alexis Lafreniere, ever score another point? He's up to one so far. And I'll say this because Ryan and I have actually talked about it a few times on the Prospect Podcast. Uh, we are believers that he should have been there at the World Juniors. I know you are too, 100%. This is a guy that it's like... I, I will also point out, I wish Nick Robertson played the World Juniors because in the end, he didn't get a spot with the Leafs and he missed out of the chance to win gold of his country. But Lafreniere you just had to get him in game shape and the problem is when you don't score in your first few games as a young player with nothing to back up on it you it gets to your head so that's what yeah. we're looking at here i think you're right and you know I, I i just decided to poke the trolls this morning i just put up a tweet saying like hey remember when i got roasted for saying lafreniere should have played in the world juniors people are, are saying well what about kirby dak who got hurt yeah kirby dak also played into july and august last year because he was part of the, the playoff for play-in run with the Chicago Blackhawks. Whereas Lafreniere last played a game March 8th. So he was going 10 months before even playing an NHL game. I thought it would have been great to put him into highly competitive, high-stakes games against fellow elite skill players, hone the skills like we saw with Tim Stutzel. And I think it was a mistake. And, you know, again, it's hindsight 2020, but hey, no, it was foresight 2020. I said this before the fact, so I'm, I'm going to take credit for this, okay? And I my douchey hair says I can't. Uh, but I, I do think in all seriousness, I, I just think that it took him longer to get a rhythm. I think he's going to be fine, 
but it hasn't worked out great. The Rangers are being outscored 9-2 with Lafreniere on the ice so far at 5-on-5. Five five. He's had really good line mates. He's had, you know, whether it's Ryan Strom or because the manager at Artemi Panarin, it's not like he's being parked on the fourth line playing with nobody. At the same time, the shot metrics aren't terrible and they seem to be improving. And Lafreniere's had a really unlucky shooting percentage. It's very similar to what we saw with Jack Hughes last year. Jack Hughes had the unluckiest shot profile in the league among rookies. So look what's, what we've seen now. Jack Hughes has been much better this season. I think what's happened, and it, it applies to Jack Hughes last year, it applies to Lafreniere, it applies to even Nico Hischner, who's been good but not, not amazing since being drafted first overall. We were spoiled by Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews in back-to-back years. There's an expectation that comes with being first overall. But those guys are generational talents. You know, if you look at not every year, Nathan McKinnon took a long time to really become what he was. Nail Yakupov was a huge bust. Ryan Nugent Hopkins never really reached his full potential. There's a standard that's been kind of tweaked and warped by McDavid and Matthews. And I think people try to look at every first round pick through that lens now. But Lafreniere, he's still a kid. He's 18 years old. I don't think he's turned 19 yet, if last I checked. Even if he's 19, he's still a teenager and he has lots of time to figure this out. I don't know if it's going to happen this year. He's off to a bad start. It's, just, it's not working out for him, but there's still time. And the puck luck suggests that things are going to get better and maybe they'll start going in in clusters. Um, so he will get another point. I just don't know if it's going to be that Calder Trophy rookie season that people were hoping. But overall, I'm not worried about him. So I'm, I'm with you, Steve. And also to put in perspective, uh, every single player of the top 10 forwards um, in terms of rookie scoring have at least one pro hockey season under their belt. So they could adjust to that lifestyle and that, you know, it's a little different on the pandemic. At least they have that experience to back up on. And uh, so, yeah, anyways, let's move on to Steve Milan, who asked, how big of an impact does the Canadian only division have on fantasy hockey this year, specifically playing Ottawa so many times? Well, let's just put it this way. Ask Toronto how that was. Yeah. And I mean, that game also is the North Division in a nutshell. So Ottawa gave up a lot of goals, but so did Toronto. This entire division is just a barn burner, fire wagon hockey. If you look at the top 10 scorers in the NHL, seven are from the North Division. Eight of the top 10 goal scorers are also from the North. And that partially reflects that the North, they've had you know fewer COVID problems. They've played more games, but it doesn't fully account for that. We're going to see north guys at the top of this list i think all year and the ottawa senators yes they are making a big impact in fantasy they as a team they've gotten a little bit better lately but they're allowing 4.06 goals per game that's the most by any team in 25 years in the nhl 25 years the 95 96 san jose sharks are the last team to allow more goals than what ottawa is giving up so far this year so it can really skew your games or your matchups i was playing in a head-to-head league as an example and that crazy Drysaddle game was on a Sunday night. It was the last game of the week and Drysaddle dropped six points on me. And I was like, Oh, come on. I just kept looking at the clock being like, please. And please let this game be over. So it's an example of how, you know, whoever's whoever gets that lucky draw to play Ottawa, it can really skew. I think the results. And I think that's going to be a trend. Ottawa. I, I do think they're showing signs of being a little bit better. You know, they've won a couple games here and there over the last couple of weeks. I think they beat uh, Montreal as well but it's going to make an impact. So I do think that the North is where you want to be for fantasy goodness this year, for sure. All right. This question comes from Ryan who asks, hi, Matt, been a commission for a head to head league for 14 years. I wanted to convert it to a keeper league. Good choice. It's 12 friends who know and love their hockey. What would you suggest I do? Thanks. Well, Ryan, first I'm going to salute you being a commission. It's a tough job. I, I purposely, I, I'm not commission any of my leagues because the commission, 
whoever the commissioners are in all my leagues, every sport, they just get dumped on all the time. It's a, it's a burden. It's a burdensome job. So good for you, Ryan, for taking this, being the dark night, if you will, of your league. Uh, if you're converting to a keeper format, I suggest starting fresh. You can't, it, it's not fair to try and migrate the existing rosters into a keeper format. You've got to start from square one. You've got to build the league from scratch. And uh, what I've learned over the years doing it myself is you, or at least I suggest that you have to have specific rules to make activity still, or at least encourage activity. So limit the number of keepers, consider doing contract terms for your players, maybe even salaries, because if you just kind of go with the default Yahoo format, which is keep as many guys as you want, keep players for as many years as you want, then what you get is somebody with Connor McDavid saying, no, no, I'm not going to trade him. And then you, that guy or, or that guy or girl, whoever it is, that GM is never going to trade McDavid. And it just discourages activity. And I think that's going to happen for every elite player because you can just keep that player forever. So if you have contract terms, it creates excitement. Then you have, you know, then you have the GM of who's, who owns McDavid. Let's say you do, you know, five-year max term in your keeper format. Well, it's McDavid's fifth year and that team's out of contention. Then there's McDavid sweepstakes. Everyone's offering first round picks and it's activity. It feels more real. So I would say start from scratch and put various limitations on the nature of your keepers keep fewer players so we do in our league we do if you win the league you can only keep two if you make the playoffs you can keep three if you miss the playoffs you can keep four and that kind of keeps the players cycling through because you want activity you want everyone to feel like they have a chance to have every good player on their team so that's that's how i, I would consider configuring it if i were you i uh, that's some great advice actually i need to do that with my league because the idea of the like contract or like or having like a certain length of time that you could have a player i like that i've never been in a league like that this question comes from jerry aka oakland golden seals hello matt three questions for medium deep pool with keeper what do you do well i'll just read one at a time what do you do with Bobrovsky? jerry jerry's really going for it this week with the triple question jerry uh <laughs> with sergey Bobrovsky, uh i would wait and see because right now you're not going to get full value for him so i don't think there's a point of selling him i would actually do the opposite I, if you're in a deep league, and I've even considered doing this in my own, uh, hopefully my dad's not listening because he has Bobrovsky, but I would consider trying to buy low on, on Bobrovsky because I've said this so many times over my years with hockey news, but money talks. It shouldn't, but it does. And you have Bobrovsky. He's in the second year of a contract paying him $10 million. Teams tend to be too prideful to want to, you know, admit that they made a bad investment, especially this early in the contract. Bobrovsky's contract will dictate the fact that he will keep playing he's going to keep getting chances maybe later in his deal when there's a chance to buy him out or trade him who knows but right now it's too early to give up on him and especially when you're paying him that much so i think the panthers will keep giving him chances to find it and you know he's had a few good starts here and there i don't know if he's going to find it but he does have a pattern in his career of rebounding when he's had down stretches down years he's a hard-working goaltender so i'm still holding out hope if it's really cheap to get him Now's the time to make a really low ball offer for Bobrovsky. And then he also asks, is it worth keeping Dylan Cousins? For sure. Dylan Cousins, we know there's great pedigree, first round pick. He's got great size. The Sabres are hoping long-term he can be their number two center. That's why they bring in Eric Stahl, who's a guy, you know, I think he only has maybe on the last year of his deal or two years left. He's near the end of that contract, if I'm not mistaken. And it's sort of keeping the seat warm because you want Dylan Cousins to be your long-term number two pivot in Buffalo. 
it context always matters. So if this is a really shallow league, then I guess you don't keep Dylan Cousins. But if this is, this is a deep, rich keeper league, Dylan Cousins is an important player and he's someone who should be kept. Any roster that has benches, you know, I'm in a league that doesn't have bench space. So I, I think that Cousins is not kept. But if you're, elite, if you're in a league with deep rosters where you're allowed to stash guys, then Cousins absolutely should be kept. All right. The final question is, if available, should I add Anthony Bobillier? I'm going to say, I'm going to give you a big meh, Jerry. Uh, Anthony Bovillier is someone, he's a frustrating player in fantasy because in real life, he's pretty useful. He's a completely different player in the playoffs. He takes the team on his back. We saw it last year. His shot rate is way higher. He just plays like a different human being in the playoffs. And then in the regular season, you get the same old kind of just middling production from Beauvillier we're seeing the same this year so maybe but even then you're just not getting much from Beauvillier in a playoff pool go ahead and add him because he's shown that he's better player in the playoffs for whatever reason I think he's talented so it's disappointing to see what he's done in the regular season all right this question comes from from Ryan Rampage or Ramage I should say is Nick Bowden relevant and worth a flyer once Adam Boakvist is back I have one waiver pick left and he's available I'm in a deep keeper league and don't want to waste it Yes, Nicholas Baudet is relevant. He's a first-round pick, and he's got good offensive upside. He's very mobile. He's already showing hints of that upside. Uh, I think you have to be a little careful. If you're asking whether to use your number one waiver priority, unless you're in the deepest league in the world, I don't think I would burn it on Baudet because there are still things in his game to iron out. Uh, he's been quite sheltered so far. And defensively, he's kind of getting caved in. If you look at the possession numbers, other teams are getting a ton of chances with him on the ice. So if he doesn't clean up his play in his own end, he might lose opportunities. So I don't think he's all the way there yet. I, I like the potential. And if you, you're able to pick him up and stash him, sure. But I don't think I would use the number one waiver priority. And I, I'm wondering if, you know, the, if he clears waivers, I don't know if he's even going to be claimed in your league unless it's really deep. So I wouldn't use it on him, but I'd add him if you can. All right. This is a question from Dan. What are your thoughts on Jack Rosovich for this year and future years? Could he pass the 65-point mark in 82-game season? I want to point out he played with Austin Matthews at the U.S. National Development Program and deservedly deserved that spot. That's right. I wrote the same thing down, Stephen. I said, and Matthew Kachuk, that was the other line mate. So it shows you how highly regarded Rosovich was at the U.S. NTDP. He was playing with those elite guys, and he was hanging with that line very comfortably. And that's the weird thing about Roslovic. If you asked me like three years ago, oh, Jack Roslovic, 65-point guy, I'd say, of course, he's going to be great. He's got really smart head for the game. He's got dynamic hands. He's shown it. He's really playing with a lot of confidence now. And he's got a lot of speed. In particular, that's probably the strongest element to his game, his speed. So he's supposed to be doing this. this is, he's doing now what he was always supposed to do. And it was a weird, I've said this before, the chicken and egg thing where with Winnipeg, was he just not getting the opportunity? Was he not earning the opportunity? The way he's playing so far, it looks like it's the former, that he just needed this chance to be given a bigger role. The question is, you know, is he going to stick at center? He's been really bad on faceoffs, 33%. That's a, that makes him almost a liability playing the center position. So if he's not driving the line, if he's more of a passenger, is he less effective? Maybe. That's kind of what we saw in Winnipeg. He wasn't used as a center that often. But overall, I'm liking what I'm seeing. And if he continues this, I think maybe 65 points is a bit ambitious. So, you know, it's a little early, but maybe he could be a 50-point guy. That would be a great start for him to, to get through this season and score at that pace. He's playing with a lot of swagger. He still has, you know, I don't know if he has the most complete game yet at both ends of the ice, but the potential, it was always there. You know, he's part of that great draft class. I think he's part of the 2015 class, if I'm not mistaken, with Kyle Connor. And the potential was always significant. And he's just doing what he was supposed to do now. So when a player does that, I don't really consider it a fluke. And I'm, I'm mostly a believer in Russell. 
All right, Dave Dawson, a very good commentator of Junior A Hockey, asks, is your brother Dylan ever going to produce or should I stop wasting a roster spot on him? Well, it's funny you mention it because I actually uh, did something with Dylan Larkin recently. I spoke to him and spoke to uh, the Red Wings coach, Joe, coach Jeff Blashell for a feature for our magazine that I was doing on Dylan Larkin. So I was sort of digging into what's going on with him. And one thing that kind of stands out to me that Jeff Blashell said is that he feels that Larkin has been pressing early this season. You notice he's playing crazy minutes, above 20 minutes most nights. And he said he doesn't think it's because he was named captain. He just thinks it's because Larkin specifically said he's he wants to have a monster year. And I think sometimes when you get a really talented player, and I think competitive, he's known as an extremely competitive player on a team that's so consistently terrible, you press a little bit. And I think what we're maybe seeing is Larkin pressing. Overall, I'm not worried. You're, you know, I hope that we're gonna get to see him someday with really true first line line mates. And you know, he's had a good chemistry he's usually played over the last couple of years with Bertuzzi and Mantha but I'd like to see him with Lucas Raymond you have someone like that eventually when, when he comes over because Larkin he's got great skill he's got great speed he's good at both ends of the ice and he deserves better his puck luck has been kind of poor this year so overall I think he's going to be fine I would actually buy low on Dylan Larkin you just have to hope that he settles down because I even spoke to him about this I said you know do you get impatient is it hard because you haven't been in the playoffs since rookie season you're hearing about all these good prospects but they're they're still overseas are you just waiting he sees the glasses half full he said he said to me that you know he he chooses to to treat it as an optimistic thing where he's excited for them to come but it's still understandable if it manifests in his play right now where he's just waiting for that help and he feels like he has to do it all himself I think that's what's happening but I think over the course of the season he's going to be okay and I would buy low on him Phil Oak asks, Capocacco, your thoughts. I like the simple question. Capocacco, your thoughts. So Caco is interesting. And, you know, we talked about Lafreniere already. It's hard to evaluate any of the Rangers right now because nothing is going as planned. Mika Zibanejad has one goal in 14 games. What the heck is going on? So Capocacco, his numbers on the surface are, are not good, but underlying for Caco, he's improved in everything. All his chance generation, his shot generation, play at both ends of the ice. The puck is just going in the right direction. He's getting chances way more than last year. Last year, he graded out as arguably the worst rookie forward in the league. He was right there with Jack Hughes. I think he was actually worse. Caco this year, I think he's showing signs of a hidden breakout about to happen. So again, he's a guy that I would consider adding if, if your league is deep and if he's available because there might be a spike in production. And he's someone, I've said this before, but I did a lot of work on him and with him and with his old coaches leading up to his draft year. I wrote a big feature on him for our draft preview. And the praise he got from his coaches, they love this kid. They think he is the best finished player they ever saw in the Liga at his age. Better than Barkov, better than Granlin. So I just find it hard to believe that he's going to be a bust when coaches see that much potential in his all-around game and underlying we are already seeing signs so i think it's going to happen i don't know if it's going to happen this week next week but i think the puck's going to start going in and he's going to start becoming a more impactful player for the rangers so i'm still a believer in capocaco this question is from mika hakala should i drop sean monahan and add brock mcginn monahan has been underwhelming and mcginn continues to impress no yeah, no, Stephen nails it. No, all due respect to Brock McGinn, I don't know what's going on. Uh, he has been playing, I believe, on the first line for a little bit with Aho and Teravainen. I don't know whether it's a motivation tactic from Brindamore to get Svechnikov going. But, you know, Brock McGinn, he has 50 career goals in his entire NHL career. He's scoring on 28% of his shots. It's unsustainable. He's never even had a 20-goal season in the AHL. 
let alone the NHL. His career high in the AHL was 19 goals in 40 something games. None of it makes sense. It, it's a nice, it's a heater. He's on a heater and maybe it's going to continue for a little while. I think it's absolutely worth picking up Brock McGinn if he's available, but not dropping Sean Monaghan for him. Sean Monaghan, I think, is the, is the, the guy to trust over for the long term. It's almost like they're the opposite. Monaghan is the guy that has the proven track record, is not scoring. Brock McGinn doesn't have the track record, is scoring. I don't buy it. I think you got to bet on the established talent in the long term. So hold on to Monaghan. Pick up McGinn if you can drop someone who's a less, a less established player for him. Sure, go ahead. All right, that's it for the questions. It's time for your starting lineup. Okay, let's start. The starting lineup I did this week was the pet peeves of mine. Okay. I'm just, I'm just going to launch into pet peeves. I want to take more suggestions next week for a new category. I oh, I already got one for you. Crazy. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, good. Good. So we'll worst, save that for next. Week. Worst movies. Worst movies. Ooh, that's a good one. Okay. That'll be next week. So pet peeves. There are no particular order. Maybe they are. Okay. Number one, I put seat recliners on airplanes. Number one, there's nothing in the world. I don't think the, that bothers me more than suit recliners. I think it's inconsiderate. It's the mentality of, well, my comfort's more important than the person behind me. So I'm just going to fire this tray back. It doesn't matter if they have, a, you know, if, or the seat back. It doesn't matter if they have their tray and I'm knocking their food on them. I had one guy almost break my laptop on playing once because my laptop was sitting up. He reclined so fast, he caught my laptop. I had to yell, hey, it's inconsiderate. The defense is that, hey, the, the airlines allow for it. doesn't matter. It's inconsiderate. Don't do it. Pet peeve number two. People who open doors in public places and don't look behind them and just let the door slam into whoever's behind them, don't even bother to look, also inconsiderate. Number three in the starting lineup, the prediction trolls who it doesn't matter what you do, they're going to be on you. So if you predict a great team to win the Stanley Cup, it's, oh, yeah, you really went out on a limb there. If you predict a sleeper team, it's law, what a ridiculous take. They're never happy. They're just going to troll no matter what, so ignore them. Especially you. What's that? The people troll, especially you. They troll you. Yes, for sure. On predictions, like they're never happy. So you just have to accept that. Number four, Big Bang Theory. Terrible television television program. Horrible overacting. I don't understand how anyone could like that show. It's It, it uses stereotypes of nerds that are from the 80s. They may as well just be Steve Urkel. Can't stand it. Obvious, hit you over the head humor. If you like Big Bang Theory, I don't know. I'm going to have to consider distancing myself from you i don't have anyone in my close circle of friends and family who likes big bang theory i tend to keep it that way number five grapefruit disgusting bitter <laughs> i can hear my wife laughing in the background this is so but random compared to everything else on the list. Grapefruit. grapefruit and grapefruit products are only consumed by masochists who enjoy pain and suffering because grapefruit is very gross it's bitter it, it triggers my gag reflex grapefruits are out and the final category is surprise raisins. I'm okay with raisins that you expect. Cinnamon raisin bagel, no problem. If you bite into a cookie, you're expecting chocolate chips and it's actually raisin, raisins, terrible. Horribly disappointing. That's a pet peeve of mine. That completes the starting lineup. Next week, we will do the worst movies. Hope you enjoyed the fantasy podcast this week. Good luck in your league. Hopefully you're surviving with all the postponements. I am not. My goaltenders are Robin Lehner and Ilya Samsonov. So I'm floundering right now because of all this madness. Wish my team luck. I wish your team luck as well. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks.